I originally had the idea that it would be just cool to kind of mm -hmm. like do my version of New York City, you know, which is not something I get to do in a normal restaurant review, but to be able to say like, this is kind of how I see the city. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, welcome back Pete Wells, the restaurant critic at the New York Times. Now, when I booked him a couple weeks ago, I didn't quite know that he would be dropping on the very day of our interview a massive top 100 restaurants of New York City list. Wow. We talk about it all. We talk about all of the restaurants on the list. We talk about also his methodology for reviewing restaurants. We talk about the scheduling hell that he has to go through. And really, I just, I just love catching up with Pete Wells. He's such a fascinating guy, one of my favorite critics, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Pete Wells, welcome back to the Taste Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for keeping my chair. <laughs> it's warm. It's been a few years. It's been four years, I believe. I know, but you didn't throw, throw it out because you, you knew I'd be back. You've always got a seat at this table, I must say. We're recording this the morning you dropped your list, the 100 best restaurants in New York City list. I didn't know you were going to do this. I booked this like a week ago. You texted me late last night and said, that here's the link. And I was pleasantly surprised to see this beautiful thing. Tell me, what inspired you to write the best 100 restaurants list at the New York Times. Boy, I mean, I've, this is something I have wanted to do for like six or seven years. I actually, I mean, it goes back so far, I, I, I can't even remember, but it, but it, I, I was telling my editors I wanted to do it and they weren't really sure f at the beginning. And then, and then they wanted to sync it up with the, you know, Times uh, uh, food festival. Mm. And then, that got really confused, just getting the timing right. And then the pandemic happened. and Oh, we're going back that far. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. this is going yeah. back here, right? So, but, you know, I originally had the idea that it would be just cool to kind of, mm -hmm. like, do my version of New York City, you know, which is not something I get to do in a normal restaurant review. But to be able to say, like, this is kind of how I see the city. Yeah. This is what I think we're good at here are the things that i think like the you know the, the cuisines the city is really strong in yeah and then you know here are some just stand out completely one of a kind places uh which is in a way something the city's also excellent at you know um, and, and, you know, here's the geography of the city. Here's like, you know, what's in deep Brooklyn and yeah. what's, you know, what's in the Bronx, like just, you know, and there's a million neighborhoods I didn't get to and could have filled in, but it's sort of like a, a first It's your draft, first cut at you know? it. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm sure we, you, you, I don't know if you've logged into Twitter. I haven't personally today, but I'm sure there's some, a lot of debate happening. I mean, you said this is your city, which I love that, you know, everybody, I think who writes about restaurants wants to have a snapshot of like, it's either a year end list or some kind of, you know, um, highlight reel of what you like. And clearly Brooklyn um, lands at uh, number 16 is the first time Brooklyn enters the <laughs> equation, which I thought with, um, uh, I think it was, I'm looking right here. I have the list in front of me. 16 was Asuka. So tasting uh, menu in Williamsburg, and then you follow it with Lilia. That is a statement to me. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. So I'm sure you did. It's a, it's a, it's a subconscious statement. <laughs> no, but let's go over the list just for our listeners who might not have it. I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. It's a beautiful package. Number one, a Tatiana by Kwame Nwachi, Auto Mix, La Bernardin, Via Carota, La Piranha at number five, Chef Table at Brooklyn Fair at six, uh, Yoshino, Chili, and the Queen's Night Market, and the Grill at number 10. So this is your top 10. What does that say right now about New York City, that top 10 list? You are wincing. I'm sorry, Pete. I'm not I sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not sure as much as I'm talking about, like, wanting to see the big picture. <laughs> I'm not sure I see the big picture, yeah. you know, one through ten. I mean, there's a lot. Okay, so if you look at that, there's a lot of expensive restaurants in in that first ten. Um, a lot of places that are tasting menu only. Yep. Uh, a lot of places that are, uh, like, internationally known. Uh, and then some that aren't. So, but but I think you know, obviously, one of the things that New York has is a, a really strong, strong lineup of 
of like globally recognized yeah. great restaurants and you have to reckon with them uh, even even if you kind of don't want to even if you know what i mean on, on, <laughs> it's on maybe some... not my personal taste your personal taste even but you've got a, a a times readership that needs to be uh considered and that's an international readership and i think some people not you but snark at lists in general and think like okay well this is too elitist etc but you know there's definitely a reader in mind and this is a different list than if the village voice was still around Village Voice would have a different list. They would have a different list. Yeah, and and you know, and then at the same time, I did want this to be a New York list. Like I, I think yeah. these are all New York restaurants in, in in a way. Like you see a lot of people in the listicle business these days. <laughs> yeah, and you see some of these lists done by let's say international organizations, and they don't always look like New York to me. Or I see the restaurants and I'm like, well, that restaurant could exist anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's a restaurant nobody in New York that I know talks about or goes to, and it doesn't really reflect the city in any way that I recognize. You know? I like this. So, so we're tapping into something here. It seems that these restaurants reflect New York City. Well, the ones I, I've that, that I've got, especially that, that top ten that we just did, yeah. but I've tried to, to carry it through all the way. Like there are any number of, um, you know, very nice, high-performing tasting menu places um but you know not all of them really like to me stand out as something you can't get anywhere else yeah. which is kind of what I one of the things I wanted to get out with this like here here are our restaurants that you just need to go there if yep. you want to have that experience. Yeah, it's cool. And, and you know, I want to – I invited you in just to talk about your career and, and get a, an update on, on your workflow and what you're, what you're interested in. But then you dropped this massive thing, which could likely be its own episode. Uh, I mean, I'm just popping into a few spots that – you know, the Teresi at 33, that's pretty high for a new restaurant. But you enjoyed it. Your review was quite positive. And that's – and we had Rich on recently talking about that restaurant. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, I was surprised by uh, yeah. how – fresh all that stuff seemed even though these are ideas he's been kind of yep. working out in public for more than 10 years i went in there and it all it had all been kind of rethought revamped um uh nothing seemed stale some things were much better than any previous version i'd had and some things were just as good but in a yeah. different way um so that's like you love to see that mm-hmm. i think as a critic and probably as a diner, too. You yeah. love to see, like, some evolution, some thought going on. Yeah, and a real delineation from Carbone in the service you're going to get at Carbone. They're, like, distinctly different restaurants. Pizza is interesting. You have two on the list. You have Una Pizza Napolitano at 15, and you have Scars later down. Am I correct, or is there a third pizza that I missed? Or is that I it? think it's just those two. And we'll get into some subtopics. I want to hear about your favorite slices and ice cream and, and midtown lunch and all that kind of stuff. But those two stuck out. Um, in the sense that there should be more pizza or you're asking me, I mean, listen, this town runs on pizza yeah. and it runs on pizza lists. This town runs. Uh, on, that's true. Like think about the discourse. Um, Pete, I'm not, this isn't a judgment cause I think you've done a terrific job. I just think the city has a lot of dialogue and discourse about pizza. Granted to my earlier point, the New York times readership, maybe not so much. I mean, I could <laughs> sit in your chair and 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 argue with me <laughs> sitting over here in my chair, and and I could probably make a pretty convincing case that like pizza is to New York what like the taco is to Mexico City. Yeah, and the fact that I have more taquerias on my list than I have pizza places is probably a flaw. It's certainly a a a, a bizarre like. Uh, Failure of, of consistency. <laughs> no, it's a failure of consistency on my part because I, because I, you know, I do think th- that pizza is incredibly important to New no, York. But you, you know, Maria Landi on here, which is great, and I'm looking at your other taqueria choice. Help me out. Uh, well, there's uh, Submarino. Yes. And, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And then um, uh, uh, Ramirez. Yeah, Ramirez is the new new kid on the block. Yeah. Really, really cool place. Right. And then I have uh, El Borrego on uh, yep. Roosevelt. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe too many talk. This is really fun, Pete. I mean, honestly, 
I'm looking at while there at 77. Some ways say that's a drop, but while there has been in the biz for almost a decade, and I see them at 77, that must it's a good sign for those guys. I think they're doing great. I th- I really do. I think you know because that's a place that could have gone stale, could have kept the menu the same forever. And it feels really fresh to me. When you told me in advance that you were doing your top 100, you said, I'm going to be dropping this later. I like instantly was like, I texted a friend, David Cho, a friend who's a big restaurant fan. And I was like, hey, what are our top 10s? Because I, when I knew you were going to be dropping it. And um, I mean, Damaka at 74, I was thinking that was top 10 pay dirt, at least. That's interesting. You're so, you're such a good sport to let me. <laughs> no, I think that's, this. I just think that's interesting. I mean, I think. James Beard I'm Award winner curious, last year. I'm curious to see what happens when they change their menu. If I, yeah. if I had known You're right. they were about to throw the whole menu out, I might have moved them up higher because, like, what a cool thing to do. I mean, he's been working – that menu's been kind of been well-seasoned for a minute. And, like, right. with that kitchen, he's got a – I mean, he, we had him on the show. I'll link to the show notes, Shintin Pandya, and, and, like, we talked about that's such a crazy small kitchen. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it. But the whole operation wild. is sort of a miracle, you know. Was Masala Walla too new? Did that make the list? Masala Walla and Sons? Yeah, it, it maybe was too new. It maybe was too, like, how many, you know, of this one company's restaurants can I put on the list? You know, it's it's at a certain point, you start competing with yourself, you know, if you're— A hundred percent. That's— Yeah. So let's close this kind of convo as, again, and I'm going to link to it. It's a great piece. Um, the top three, let's give them their flowers. So number three right now is Le Bernardin. Why is that land at number three? Uh, you know, I mean, first of all, all, this is the top three are incredibly close and they all do different things, but they all do what they do really, really well. And, you know, on a different day, Mm -hmm. I could have picked Laverna Tannen. I mean, I've I've definitely had many, many days when I would walk around saying Laverna Tannen is the best restaurant in New York, you know? Um, uh, I just think for what it does, which, you know, if, if you don't know what it does, you should you just do what you can to, yeah, to, get, get, there. to get there because yeah. it's it's mm. just the 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 greatest expression, I think, in New York of kind of French formality with innovative sort of forward thinking cooking that's, you know, traditional, but also very right. inventive in the moment and not and, and it just doesn't repeat itself doesn't no. doesn't seem tired um and the attention to to detail from top to bottom is just stunning yeah and i think the the one thing their their front of house you know auto mix and i've not been to tatiana we'll get to that i mean auto mix is a counter so you're getting a little different of a service experience but the bernard dan with the captain service there it probably is in a room that's as polished as that one I'm, that's right for for the you know the number of people on the floor everyone yep. Playing their position exactly and playing it perfectly, and even you know, I didn't realize this until I reviewed this restaurant. I don't know, not that long ago, three, four, five months ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they have the dining room divided into quadrants, and each quadrant gets its own sommelier. Yeah, uh, which I, I just didn't realize because I just you know, I, yeah, you wouldn't know that until you did your back reporting. So number two is Auto Mix. Um, Honestly, we've had JP and Ellie on the show, um, a world-recognized Korean tasting menu from um, from those guys. What? Why is that number two? I think that place just uses its its format so well, which is sort of the tasting counter. They use it mm-hmm. so so well to to communicate, not just to you know serve you food, which a lot of tasting counters do, but to communicate with you about the idea mm-hmm. of the food, the the culture, the you know where where things come from, where the pottery comes from, who designed the menu cards. You know, they get each course comes with a card that has an illustration and uh, and text about some aspect of Korean cuisine and then a little description of the dish. Um, and they're beautiful. It's beautiful wonderful. Cards, Those right? cards and, are wonderful. And you, but you, yeah. you know, you, you learn something, even if you're, you're not there to learn and you're just there to eat and yeah. get drunk, you end up, you know, mm-hmm. it's like stuff does stick in your brain. Yeah. And, and you've had a, an experience that I think like is almost what the, the, the highest use of the counter that you know the the, the yeah. idea of the counter except for like you know a sandwich counter which is also yeah. a brilliant thing i mean right? and brooklyn fair's use of the counter too right they're still doing yes the counter. yes but they, i think they do kind of less across the counter yeah. you know they the, the it's a great 
place to sit down and eat. But I think there's there's less um, happening in the mm-hmm. in the in the hospitality, the guest to uh, oh, yeah. diner uh, um, interactions. Yes. Yeah. And Shuko, did they make the list? Shuko, they did not. Yeah. They did not. Pausing. Okay. Uh, Listener, you can let that Although at different different points, I I have thought that that was a a great, great restaurant. You've written very kindly about that restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So number one is very cool. And I think it's um, Tatiana by Kwame Nwache um, up at Lincoln Center. This is a, a brand new restaurant. You just reviewed it. You gave it a very high review. It's number one. Recency bias, perhaps, but clearly you really enjoyed this restaurant. Yeah. I mean, definitely in this case, it was hard for me to, like, take a step back from the enthusiasm that I was feeling because I had just written about it and it's brand new and it's sort of – there's nothing else like it in the city. So it was hard for me to to wash all of that away. Um, At the same time, I think it's a a restaurant that sort of is so – of the moment in a good way. Yeah. Like not in a chasing the trend way, you know. No. Uh, not in a, not in a like, oh, we, we watched, you know, TikTok for three hours <laughs> and then created a restaurant I mean, you would know, it, you know too about trends because you're out in the scene. I mean, you know these trends and you know about chasing trends. I do. More although, than anyone. Although like, like I refuse to go on TikTok and, and, and so I'm, I'm a little bit. In the dark, and I, and of course I'm like like massively ancient at this point, so so like I I don't really know what the kids are doing at all, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I, you can tell when somebody's just mm-hmm. just trying to generate, yeah, and, that's, and I don't even resent it because everybody's got to stay in business. Now let know? me ask you now, Kwame, you know, really highly decorated and acknowledged uh, member of food media. You know, this is a gentleman who's written cookbooks, who's been on television, hosted the James Beard Awards. So really high profile. And he opens up a restaurant in New York City. I mean, there couldn't be higher stakes just in general of this guy who is really going for it at the Lincoln Center. And clearly you really enjoyed it. You must have given him some points for that kind of brass ballsiness really yeah, i mean i would say you know understanding the moment yeah. and seizing the moment exactly and well said speaking to the moment well said i think Absolutely. you know it, it can't be easy being the focus of as much attention as he mm-hmm. is uh subjected to right now and for the past few years i mean he clearly you know uh you know wants to be in that role but like that's a lot of pressure and with this restaurant you just saw him stepping right into it and just swinging for the bleachers mm-hmm. you know yeah and and he's been rewarded for that and i can't wait to try it myself so i'm gonna leave this list again we could all go right. all we could go all day i mean listen i'm gonna link to it it's it's amazing and i hope it comes back i'm not gonna hold, I, I assume you're gonna update it at some point you already put the work in oh i never want to do this i again. love are you kidding <laughs> Pete, <laughs> since it was six years, I don't think I have another. I mean, six. did you did you have to revisit all the restaurants? Is that I, I won't say I revisited every single one, but I I did what yeah. I could, and the ones I didn't get back to um, are ones that I kind of know to be very very stable. Yeah. You know. Okay. I mean, of course. We're going to get into the actual deadline of this weekly column that you write, and you have extremely high standards, uh, and you're read by millions every single week. Um, Just jumping into it, I mean, I asked you this four years ago. How do you pick the restaurant to review each week? I try to go out for five working meals a week. Usually that turns out to, to be five dinners. And um, one of them is going to be my third and final visit to a place I'm reviewing next week. One of them is going to be, you know, my second visit to a place that's coming down the line. And then I'm hoping that one of them is going to be my first visit of a place that's Mm going to be a review. But there's no way to know. But I'm hoping, you know, when I go to a new place that I'm going to want to tell people about it. And not in a bad way, yeah. you know, that I'm going to... Because that's your job, and if you only went to mid-places all the time, you would have no copy. So it's a really, it's a, it must be a high-wire act to make sure you're getting to the places that are, have merit to write about. Yeah, I mean, there is a way to do it where you um, you go to places that have gotten some publicity, so when the reader sees it, they're not going to say, what the hell mm-hmm. is this? What is he doing? You know? You, there are places that are kind of in the conversation, and you go with that. You that's your 
that's your flow. Well, you've heard about this place, and now I'm going to tell you more about it. You know, I do that, and it's a perfectly legitimate um, uh, way to do a review, but I try not to do it too often mm -hmm. because those are, to me, less interesting. Yeah. Like, I'm telling you about this because you're expecting to be told about it. Like, yeah. that is not a, a great rationale for doing it. No, I agree. And you cleared the methodology. You've been doing this 12 years now, right? <sighs> 13? And I, yeah, you don't I, even. I don't think so. I, I... <laughs> we, we've had lots of critics on, you know, Hannah Goldfield, Ryan Sutton, Bill Addison, Robert Sietzema, like, over the years. And we, I always want to hear about this deadline because I want our listeners to actually realize this deadline is for real. Oh, it's so painful. <laughs> it's just so painful. I mean, it's, yeah, like, okay, so every week there's a deadline. I miss it. <laughs> For I mean, real, I you just, miss your deadline every I just week? do. Well, I just, yeah. I just, it's, it's, I can, like, they try moving it to different days and it's just, it's just hopeless. It always takes me longer to write them than I think it's going to, even though I've been doing this for, mm -hmm. you know, more than 10 years, and I should know exactly how long it takes me, and I should be mm -hmm. able to back up from that and know when to start, I still think I'm going to be able to do it in like, oh, eight hours, nine hours. Is that and what you net out at? So you're like eight hours? Oh, it's so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's really like, t like two and a half, like work days of writing, and yeah. then, you know, after that, there's the editing and the fact checking, um, mm -hmm. and you know, you fact check too. You call stuff. The, the, yeah. the chef often yourself. You're a reporter at heart, or not even by heart, heart by background and editor by background. So you do your own report. You're fact checking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'd be. I mean, you know, I would probably be thrilled if uh, somebody at the paper would do it, but <laughs> it's better for me to do it myself. Yeah. I learn a lot. It's also, in, in a way, like I try not to get too close to the mm -hmm. chefs, uh, and I and I and I don't. I don't go to party parties or, you know, hang out with chefs at all. But but I think it's good for me to kind of talk to them before it comes out and have a sense that this is a real person mm -hmm. that I'm about to write about. And you know, sometimes it can it can just make you think like, oh, is that just that a cheap shot? You know, I, I I used to review restaurants and I used to fact check myself. Um, and honestly, it's part of the reporting process to actually talk to the chef and actually maybe distill some vague ideas, right, that you have and maybe it's crystallized after that conversation. Well, I always want to make sure I've got the facts straight, and that sure. sounds, sounds obvious, but, like, I want to make sure I've described the dish accurately. This is what they really did. And sometimes, you you, you know, you can't tell, especially, I mean, the, the, you know, there are chefs whose minds are so, so high level that, they're you know, it's a four-day process. You would never know it was a... You know, you might know that it, that it was a very involved process, but you don't. Know you would never what all ever. the steps that went into you watch it. The and menu, you, and you're like, okay, well, maybe that's how it works. Right, but. that's right. But then, so that often, <laughs> you know, I'll ask them. It'll be just a simple, simple question, like, is there bay leaf in that? And they'll mm. they'll be like, okay, so we start this dish in January, you know, and, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I like I learn a lot, but like you know, it. it it's important, I think, to understand what you're dealing with, even if mm -hmm. after hearing all of that, you think, well, you know, I think still think there was too much bay leaf in it. You know? <laughs> and, you, and you still like because that was the idea you had going into it. Your palate, you trust your palate and it didn't taste right. You want to. I mean, your reaction is your reaction. And that's what you right. have to write about. And the thing that you have to really guard against, uh, I have to guard against and I imagine other critics have to deal with it, too is chefs have become so good at selling you their story. And uh, yeah. um, so by the time you've heard, like, you know, well, this was my mom's recipe, and, she, you know, yeah. she made it right after my dad died yeah. when I was 14, and she made it every night, and it, and it really, it's a really important. I wanted to have it on the menu. By the time you hear that, you're you're like, am I really going to, like, like bury this. this recipe in the face because I think <laughs> it's a terrible dish. Yeah. You know, I'm um, sure you've had to have done that. Um, let me ask you, Pete, has there been a recent review that's actually been pretty easy to write? <laughs> Can you think back? <laughs> well, um, what's easier for me is like the, like 
a, a place that does one or two things really, yeah. really well. So I just did this week, although it's been kind of buried by the top 100 list, I did this Vietnamese pop-up called Mom. I was, oh, yeah. So when I was on the phone, one of the things I learned from talking to the chef is that the accent over the – this restaurant is spelled M-A-M, but mm -hmm. there are funny accents on the A, mm -hmm. and the accent in that case means that the intonation goes up. Yep. So it's mom. Yeah, mom. Say that. Mom? I think that's better. The second time is better. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, they, they specialize in this one uh, North Vietnamese dish. They do other stuff too. I wrote about the other stuff, but it really was – helpful to just have kind of one thing to worry about and and kind of tell the story of that dish yeah. and and uh those are nice reviews those are good they're good well i think they're better to read in some way because there's more unity and you're not like and another dish that you could try yeah. and they also make this and though i didn't like this quite as much but this other one was actually pretty good and even you know i just i kind of pull my hair out because i i know that it's it's boring and it's there's baseball. no it's flow. like looking at baseball cards i mean and mom is 26 on the list fyi reader or listener um it's like when you get into the and we had that and we had that and we had that i mean that's truly bad reviewing and what i am so impressed with your longevity and just like your work is that each each review you're my favorite out of many of the times critics of the past not just saying this i've said it on this show previously that um you create a a, a narrative there's some kind of story happening in the review i mean I, yeah, I want people to read it truly right it's not just like a bulleted list of what to order yeah no i yeah in fact i mean i do that on the side <laughs> I'm not even sure it gets published, but I, do, yeah. I turn it in every week. I don't know where it goes. Um, I do a little list of what to order. But, it goes on but TikTok. The, That's where it goes. It, probably, it's it's the TikTok be. part of review that you're not should listening should be on watching. TikTok. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I want people to like sit down and, and read it and find like, oh, my gosh, I didn't mean to read this to the end, but I did. You know? Let's uh, talk about the scheduling because I feel like that's really, really, really underappreciated by the reader is that, I mean, we've all had like, let's try to go out to this restaurant and this night and have the issues with our friends. But like, how do you like do that? Do you have an assistant helping you book or is it all you? No, I, <laughs> I mean, I think a really high level assistant could do it, but this person would have to be so high level yeah. that they'd probably get paid twice what I get paid. You know, it's yeah. just, it's like a, such a, because they'd have to be able to read my mind mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, who will be offended if I ask them to this restaurant mm. and who will be offended if I don't ask them to this yeah. restaurant. And like, you know, and then honestly, like 90% of it for me comes down to like, oh, no, I have dinner in two hours and I haven't invited anybody. Who's going to say yes? You know, Hannah Goldfield said pretty much the exact same thing on the show. I know the meal is coming, but finding the time to, like, put all the pieces in place is so hard. It's also, like, who are you dining with? Because, I mean, I've had work meals when I was reviewing. Like, sometimes you, you obviously can't talk about social shit that much during the meal. And it can't be like, let's catch up with an old friend because that's not going to help you. There has to be it has to be kind of like a neutered voice on the other side. Sometimes, yeah, somebody. I mean, which it tends to work out to like someone you go out with pretty often. Yeah, and there's nothing earth shattering that's going to be discussed. Mm -hmm. And they also know the drill a little bit, and they yeah. they know, you know, that we're going to order more food than we'll possibly be able to eat. You know, and yeah. and uh, we're going to order some things that no one is particularly interested in yep. eating. And uh, and even if you have your heart set on the liver, you may only get a forkful of liver mm -hmm. before I take it away from you. <laughs> you right? actually right. pull it out of their <laughs> yeah. hands. Yeah. It, it must be you have to go over like slight ground rules, but you don't make it tacky like that I, i've dined with you in the past i got one invite i feel like i should get more i mean i'm, I'm always available pete that's so. interesting okay send me send me a reminder on. <laughs> i'm kidding i mean I, I feel like it's you need consistency you need someone who you can call all the time and and they can be there and show up right <laughs> right i mean the worst people are like your friends who just had a baby 
Because you could never call them. No, they're going to cancel. You could never. Right. Well, right. You can't call them and say, hey, you want to have dinner in two hours. And if you plan it a month in advance, they're going to cancel because, oh, so he's got this weird pink rash on his. Yeah. And, you know, I will try, but, you know, I maybe can't get there at 7. I have to get there at 745. And it's like you're going to like auto mix and like you got to have someone sit next to you. Right, right, right. Um, do you dine out with your colleagues on the food desk? I try, I, I try to, um, uh, the ones who understand my weird, yeah. s- you know, s- aversion to, to scheduling, mm-hmm. uh, been trying to do that more often lately. Yeah. Do you ever run into like Hannah or when Ryan was reviewing or do you, do you ever run into some of the other guys at the restaurants and give them like a little nod at a distance or say hello? Um, Ryan a couple times. Yeah. One time I sat next to him and it was really hilarious cause he had this. Huge, you know, camera. I'm, you know, huge camera lens. And where was it at? Oh, it's a place that that closed not too long after. I think he and I together closed it. Oh Um, no. Um. Uh. You say that, Hannah? I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. No, I'm just kidding about that. The place actually like it went through a couple of. You know, it went through a couple of yeah. attempts to revive itself. Let's before. tap into that. I think let's. It's a good. It's a thread to tug on. I mean, your review in particular, also Ryan and Hannah and anyone, but you know, Hannah's not really writing negative reviews that often. And you're you're writing star reviews. And honestly, how do you feel when a restaurant closes, especially like the high stakes guys? You know, the the you know, Tatiana that was went the other way, and you gave it zero. I mean, that closes. Uh, maybe not. True. Fair. Maybe not. I mean, that's a really, I mean, that's a, that's like a, an alternate universe hypothetical. What if I had given Tatiana no, zero I'm, stars, right? Yeah. That, like <laughs> the forces that would have been unleashed by that would, would, yeah. would be like, you know, like Avengers level, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it would have been. Um, because, well, just because he's, he, he is really good and like it would have been inconceivable. Yeah, it would have been an unfair take because he's got the pedigree and he's right. a super decorated dude. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, let's take another example. I have not really done one of those reviews since the pandemic started, with the exception of Eleven Madison Park in its vegan uh, yeah. iteration, and that did not have stars on it, but it was pretty clear that I was not buying it. Yeah, you know, and you went many times, at least three, oh, probably I, more. I actually don't remember. I, I know I went twice, but I might, I might yeah. have. I, 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 weird, I weirdly don't remember. I think I went three times so it might have just been twice but and they're still I definitely open got a, they didn't it didn't kill them and no. um i didn't think it would really because they you know places like that now they have so many other things going for them they've got michelin going for yeah. them they've got world's 50 best if michelin and world's 50 best and the new york times and you know what else is out there um yeah eater uh, eater all yeah. dumped on your restaurant in the same week you might have a problem, yeah. right? But now they have all these sources of of support. So, like you know, like just Michelin alone yeah. can can drive so much traffic. Well, into yeah, especially from tourists. I mean, let me ask you: Do you regret any reviews over the past couple of years, even going back a decade? Um, you know, I would like to sound like a nice guy and say, "Oh, I was really too harsh to this place, and and I should have given them a little more credit." But instead, when I think of reviews I regret they're ones where I was nicer mm-hmm. than I yeah. really meant to be or or would have been if I'd been honest you know where I've kind of bent over backwards to to uh not be too negative um I kind of regret those I, I think you know it's very hard to calibrate these things and get it at a point where you, you you know it's honest it's communicating what you want it to communicate but it doesn't seem too mean but it doesn't seem too nice um well there's a bit of a coded language with some of these reviews i mean you 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 definitely especially if you know your flow and your voice you know if Pete's not feeling sorry for you in the third but it's what it is if you're not feeling a place you kind of get it right away yeah and those are some reviews that maybe i wish i, I didn't write as often like yeah. I, like i I'd, I'd rather be enthusiastic every single week you know mm-hmm. and um or at least have something to say or have a reason i'm doing this review and have a re- and look 
everything else on the menu is dog food. But there is this one dish mm-hmm. that if you get it, you won't believe how good it is. Yeah. You know, like that like that can be a great review. That was sort of what was like the Senor Frogs yeah. review was like, okay, this is a terrible restaurant. Yeah. But like you you may end up having the best time of your life there. <laughs> Have you run into Mr. Flavortown Guy Fieri? Since no, no, we've we, we've 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 been kept separate, and our handlers <laughs> I, make sure we I, never meet. Your 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 security. I feel like you and Guy would would have a hell of a hell of a, a round of drinks. I I don't know. I I I really respect Guy Fieri in some ways. I don't know anyone who who's met him who doesn't like him. Exactly. I mean, there must be there must be people, but no. like everyone who. I mean, some certainly in, in food media, uh, they all come away saying, oh, well, he's so great. Well, what I like about him is not even about him personally. It's more what he represents, which is, you know, bringing business to these low margin businesses around the country and cert- like saving restaurants literally every single dime he writes about them or, or does a show. Yeah. I without, love that. Without like yelling at them and, yeah. and telling them what <laughs> dickheads they are right. you know like like uh it's it's and he, i mean and honestly to be able every week many times a week to to actually convincingly say oh that's so good you know when you know it's not always so good, right? Like, no. like it's not always the best thing you've ever tasted. <laughs> but to be able to do that convincingly and like, and sort of from the heart, I yeah. think is an incredible skill. It you is, know? and he's just like can read the room really quickly. It's like if you watch the show, he's like clearly reading and producing on the fly, right? You know, with the fist bumps. Um, I have a lot of questions about New York dining, and I have a few restaurants I wanted to bring up. Um, we talked about Masala Wall and Sons. I feel like that group, uh, Chintin Pandian's group, is on Unapologetic Foods, is just doing the most terrific work right now, hands down. I think it's so interesting. It's like so, somebody came down from the mountaintop and handed them this tablet, and they looked at it and they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll do that. You know, because it just sort of, his career before Ada was just kind of, you know, it was like, to me, good, Mm -hmm. doing some interesting food, but also indistinguishable from a lot of other um, uh, chefs doing Indian food. He was doing Masala Walla in some way out in Queens. There was the the original Masala Walla and and whatever the place that became Sema, Mm -hmm. I'm blanking on the name right now, but but, um, uh, the the first version of that space. You know, I liked it. I reviewed it, actually, but it was like, um, you know, there were many other chefs doing similar stuff, and then, like, one day he just got hit by lightning. Yeah. And it hasn't been the same sense. Well, I mean, it says it right in the group's name, Unapologetic Foods, and New York City diners, maybe there was a time when there had to be apologies and caveats and all sorts of footnotes and compromises really for the type of cuisine if it's either Korean or South Asian or even Northern European. But now there tends to be more of this boldness about this like just love of culture, of one's own culture, and it's represented in the restaurants. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. People, certainly people within the culture want to see a really full, meaningful expression of it and not some water down. down. Like I you know, I make this dish at home and I make it a thousand times better mm-hmm. and here's what he did to make it worse, you know. Like but I also think that, you know, the 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 amazing thing about the success of unapologetic foods to me is that they found um, you know, non-Indian diners who wanted that too, mm-hmm. want, you know, just wanted it completely. Um, and uh, and it's not like people go there on a dare. It's not like they go there because like, oh, you're going to eat testicles and yeah. love it. You know, but the, I mean, uh, they go there because it is delicious. Yeah, there's like mutton on the menu and it's being made two days in advance. And there's a limited amount of mutton available, yeah. for example. Right, right. I mean, it's just like they just sort of cracked the code in in this way that I find completely fascinating. Yeah. It's because it is the, I think, okay, I'm not a restaurateur, nor am I uh, an immigrant to this country, but I think it is the dilemma of the immigrant restaurateur 
how much of the culture can we allow in? Yeah. And how much of the culture will be allowed in? How much of what, what you know, I know and love from the place that I come from, will people here even understand, let alone, you know, want to taste, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's And it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I think, you know, you have restaurants that serve an immigrant community and that's where you can often see the the least diluted version well of, queen's of night market the, is in the top 10 of your r- of your of your list right that's right a great example I think. um but what the minute you know the minute you start trying to serve um people from outside the community people who didn't grow up in the culture then it immediately becomes like, oh, will they will they take this? Will they accept it? Well, did we, how much do we need to compromise? Do we need to tone down the spicing? You know, can we? Can, you know, can we really serve? You know, kidneys and mm-hmm. testicles and. I mean, I mean the answer uterus. is a resounding yes, and the culture is definitely. It is, but it also depends what neighborhood you're in. I Truth. think. And I mean, there's all you know. If, if I think if mom were, <laughs> so you know, in certain neighborhoods of Manhattan and they hadn't already established themselves as a, this sort of daring Vietnamese pop-up, they would have a very hard time serving uterus. Mm-hmm. You know, that would just not fly. Great point. I, I'm not sure the uterus actually flew on Forsyth either. There's some doubt about whether that will ever come back. But yeah, he did it once. I think it's great. Yeah, and it, and it, it spoke to him using organ meat like that. Have you been to the new Superiority Burger yet? I've not. I usually wait like, you know, about a month at least before I stick my nose in. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I sometimes I can't wait that long. Sometimes I just... Sometimes you can't because yeah. you can't book or you just... It's a yeah. right for a newspaper right. yeah. uses in the name and you have to review places that are new. Yeah, right. So sometimes... And, and that's one that I'm curious about. And if I ever found myself there, like, you know, late at night, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, before a month goes by, I might, I might slip in if I can find a... A place to set. I think you'll find some spots there. I think they'll maybe seat you. Um, I can't wait to go myself. Now, let's talk about Korean food in New York. All right. I loved your kimchi belt piece that you wrote maybe four years ago. You were exploring many restaurants in Queens. It obviously resonates with me, having written a couple Korean cookbooks and living here for so long. Um, I love to see Chodongal at number 40. Yeah, that's like beautiful. A, that's like a like an OG spot, right? It's so like, much. It, so. It's like it, it, that's. I mean, I, I I never talk like this. I think someone's taking control of my my mouth or something. But it's a real like if you know, you know. Yeah. Place and and um and I I wish there were more of those on the list actually, and I wish there were more Korean places like that where you know um, but you know going back to the nineties. That's been a place that's like it's in Koreatown, but it's just outside Koreatown and doing completely its yeah. own thing. Well, it seems to me that observing Korean food in New York, it's like 32nd and 35th have their spots. But there's obviously been a, an expansion down to 31st Yeah, with her name is Han. And, and you know, to me, that's the best in New York uh, right now. Personally, I, just, I think that they're always on point and they're they're just getting better by the by the year. But I want to know what's exciting you. I've been joking to friends that say Pete's probably working on a big Korean piece because it's like so his wheelhouse and you know, I mean, you're very familiar and very knowledgeable. Um, I'm not, but I, mean, I probably should be. I mean, uh, um, you know, we were talking before, I, I was really excited by, by Kejun. Yeah. Um, um, just because it's, well, it's a fun place. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of gets the, the spirit of New Orleans into this restaurant without yeah. it seeming cheesy mm. somehow. No. Like, like I mean, I've been to a million, like, you know, Les Elevons en Poulet, and, and, and they're so dumb. And it's this such one's, a hard flavor profile to nail outside of New Orleans, too. Well, that, too. And then it's to so be hard. marrying it with Korean food at wow. the same time, it's wild. But, like, the stuff she's cooking makes total sense mm-hmm. to me. Sometimes it's much more one than the other. But it all makes total sense. It all, like, she just seems to, like... Um, I was, you know, she understands Korean food on a pretty deep level, but I think her understanding of like New Orleans food mm-hmm. is, is, is at least what the flavors are supposed to be like. Yeah, is is pretty unusual for uh, a New York chef. She's amazing. She's uh, Cafe Baloo, I believe. She worked there I and mean, has a real pedigree. Are there any other uh, Korean restaurants just off the dome right now that you really enjoy that maybe didn't make your top hundred? 
I'm putting you on the spot. I'll I say know. what you're thinking. Well, you name some. Well, because uh, you, you wrote me back when I asked you to be on the show and we were catching up on email. You're like, Matt, well, in return, you have to give me two spots. So I guess I'll, I'll give it this opportunity. Uh, a Hong Chung Chung Dokalbi on a second floor on 32nd. Have you been there I've yet? I've not been there, no. That place, I think, for Dokalbi, which is like a, a, you know, a spicy fire chicken barbecue right. kind of it, it's very common in in korea less common in the it's States. not common here at all no. it's a really it's it's nice yeah yeah good that's one good i'll be checking <laughs> i'll be checking that out her name is han deserves more flowers i feel that place is super good it's uh, interesting to, to hear you say that, that you think it, it gets better all the time um because when i first went when it was pretty new I thought, wow, this is so interesting. They've sort of like mm-hmm. broken down the menu into this sort of more digestible form and it's full of young people and like they're they're sort of like, uh, you know, like taking the, the, the traditional food but modernizing the way it's presented and that's just like so brilliant. But I didn't think the food itself was the most brilliant thing about it, you know? Fair. I mean, that's your uh, t- I mean, I, I— But that was years ago. You, I, you got to go back because, like, the hamupajin, the, the seafood pancake, there's no better. They understand proportion, which I like. Like, they have a mini balsam. Um, I really like the way they serve uh, their bibimbaps or, or their bop dishes or rice dishes. I think it's all about proportion. They used to do a faro bibimbap, which I liked, which uh-huh. I hope they bring back at some point with a really nice samjan. Oh, that sounds great. It feels to me just, it feels really like Korea. I don't know. Yeah. And it feels um, like it's a little, it's just kind of there. You know, it's one of those restaurants that right. is busy, but there. It's busy all the time. It's busy. The other one is Sarigol in in Fort Lee. That place is good. I will go. I will I will go. I will go. I, I mean, I always have a good time in Fort Lee. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know? Know. Yeah, I mean Fort Lee. <laughs> I would be happy to. I'd be happy to. to um, yeah. le, you know, let the the town of Fort Lee use that on their billboards. You know? <laughs> that would be a good. Oh. One. I mean, their sundae gukbap, which is like a blood sausage soup, which I think is hard to find in Manhattan. They have a really good. Yeah, it's hard in Manhattan. It's a good one. I mean. What 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 fascinates you about Korean food? I feel like you've you've written just great oh, pieces. Oh boy, I think it seems endless to me. Like it just seems like you could just explore it and explore it and, and never come to the end. Um and I also I feel like uh it seems to have less in common with the cuisine of its neighbors than any of its neighbors have. Well, well, mm-hmm. not, any, not any of them, but, you know, the, the, the like what Japan got from China is so clear. And then they, you know, they, they did something with it. And, you know, but like often like what Korea got from the countries around it is not as clear because it's just been completely transformed yeah. into something, you know. Um, and then when you know, you're like, oh, that's that dish, right? Yep. But but um, um, but it's not it's not always apparent. It's just that things get like worked worked on and worked on and transformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, really. I mean, the the peninsula nature of it, the size of it, yeah. the size of Indiana, like the you know population density in one part and having rural. Uh, you know, rural communities that have a different cuisine, like Gawando Mountain Cuisine, for example. I just feel right. and the coastal cuisine, coastal and the, right, cuisine, and, the, and you know, the just the absolute exceptional um, dedication, the, the dedication to getting like like kimchi, like this that the the fermentation right, like just as a culture, it's just it's just wonderful to write about. Yeah, that's an, a great example because um, there's like. Everybody ferments at home. Yeah, right. It's part of the 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 culture, and um, yeah, and I think when it's expressed in America, you know, you've got uh, ingenuity and industrial industrious uh, communities, and and it just and plus you've got a lot of wealth in Korea, and chefs coming here and going to CIA and then opening new concepts. It's just exciting right. to see the, this moment for Korean American cuisine too. That's a second layer that's happening too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and 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 right. So there's the you know the older 
school, which was, you know, maybe just to, to serve other Koreans. But now there are chefs in New York who are very, very self-consciously like representing the cuisine to the world. Yeah, like Jiwa is a great example, I think. Yeah. You've written about Jiwa, I believe. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and of course, Auto Mix, Auto Boy, Soul Salon, The New Place. I mean, there's definitely different permutations of it. It's, it's cool. Pete, I want to ask you some quick hits while we close. Um, I have to get your take on, on on a few categories. First is obviously just the best slice right now. We talked about pizza a little bit at the top, but is there a, just the the best slice in New York? You know, I've revisited a bunch of these places mm-hmm. recently. So, and the one that I didn't get to revisit recently that I'd love to go back to is uh, Mama's Two. Mm-hmm. I just like I'm fascinated by um, by all of their slices, all of their slices up there. Yeah, the vodka um, slice is pretty great. Yes, right. So good. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not. I'm not going to say that's the best slice, but it's like it's the one I would go to. Like if we were going to go get a slice right now. Yeah. Let's go up to the Upper West Side. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, what is is there a cuisine? We've talked about a lot of world cuisines around the you know cuisines from from the world outside of America. Are there cuisines that maybe should be recognized more that's happening in New York? I think that um, Italian American cuisine does not get the respect that it really deserves to this day. Interesting, you know, to I this to this day. I Pat Stengel's going to like that one. I love it. Talk about us Italian Americans, how great we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it's a thing that New York does really, really well that I think you're not going to find in Los Angeles or San Francisco. You know, like there is no equivalent of Don Pepe's in Los Angeles. And there's there's no, you know, Emilio's Bellato, oh, right? Yeah. And, and uh, Emilio's just such a right. one of one. And there's no Rayo's. I mean, I know there's no. technically a Rayo's <laughs> in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, technically. Not, but that's not, <laughs> I mean, yeah, come on. Um, um, so, you know, the, all of that food, which is, you're not going to find it in Italy. Uh, no. You sort of have to be here and a couple of other East Coast cities. Like I haven't eaten in Italian American restaurants in Philly for a while, but it, you, you know, it used, yeah. used to be great. Providence has its yeah. share, right? New Haven, but like, uh, but uh, New York does it so well, and it's still, I think, uh, not really taken seriously. I mean, everybody complains about the prices at Carbone, right? And why do those prices seem high? Okay, they're high. They charge a lot of money, mm-hmm. but they seem high to people because it's for Italian American yeah. food. What am I doing paying $30 for a plate of ziti? What, yeah. what are you, crazy? Yeah. You know? Which is unfair for any cuisine to say that you're, you know, f- that you shouldn't be paying X for Y because of it being, it. you know, like right. looking at food costs, looking at multiples and all that stuff. Right. I mean, if you said that this is, you know— or if you were, you know, a northern Italian restaurant, this is the food of Emilia Romagna, we yeah. know you can charge a lot of money for that food. Yeah, Residora, look at that guy. Right. I mean, I he's, love that. He's doing fine. But, yeah. but you somehow you can't charge those prices for southern Italian food because it was the food of immigrants yeah. for so, so long in it's this country. And the and the, the all of the baggage that comes along with that you know it's not supposed to be fancy and it's not supposed to be expensive let me ask you your favorite midtown lunch spot it could be a restaurant could be a truck shout out to zach brooks friend of the show midtown lunch founder had to give it him the respect well it it all went downhill when he left town i know it did and now he's running smorgasburg in la which if you go to la and you have a free sunday you gotta go it is truly the best place to eat food in in LA. I love I'm, it. I'm sure. I'm sure it's, it's incredible. Great. Okay, Midtown Lunch. I'd never eat here anymore. <laughs> um, um, I must have some tricks up my sleeve. <laughs> Your office is here. If you ever go uh, in, you're I probably know. A big office guy. I, 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 yeah. I, um, um, okay. So wait. Let me think. Um, I mean, all of my all the things I'm going to say are just so obvious. You know, I will always get an. Oyster pan roast at Grand Central Oyster Bar. I always do that. Um, yep. um, Great call. I love that choice. Year round too. You don't need to, to wait for the fall and winter. No, no. Always no. good. It's it's good any time of year. Um, God, what else is there? Can you help me out here? I mean, uh, uh, I haven't had a really good food cart experience in Midtown yeah. in a while. I, it's been a while. They're there, but, I, but I, yeah. I, I'm wondering, I mean, this is a selfish question. I guess it seems like maybe there's a there's a column there for you. 
check out Midtown. <laughs> I did. I actually did. I passed one um, a couple months ago, and the line was so long. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've missed something yeah. here. And so I've, th- that is on my list somewhere. Was it Berea? Go back it Berea. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was like a... It was a halal cart. Oh, cool! But it was just like you know the halal cart. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It might have been a TikTok thing too. It might have been probably. Like, now, last of these quick fires, I just have to ask: We're getting into the summer months, traditionally an ice cream season. What is your favorite scoop in New York City? Probably always go down to Morgan Stearns and just have some weird ass mm-hmm. thing that I've never had before. You know. Um, like the durian. Well, I mean, I've had that once. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I'm, I need to have that again. But like, even though I, it's you know, in theory, I prefer like a fattier, richer ice cream. Yeah. And I thought he was he, I thought he was like selling, <laughs> the, you know, a world class con when he started talking about how oh no, actually the lower uh, butter fat content allows <laughs> the flavor to come through. But you know. In his case, he's right. The yeah. flavors come through mm. so well, and they're so interesting and challenging. And like the you know the 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 Vietnamese coffee is like so intense. It's great. Know? Yeah, yeah. Nick Morgenstern, shout. Few more questions, Pete. You've been a great guest. You've been such a sport. You've let me just ask you a million things that's on our minds as listeners. How do you think about coffee? Um, what, 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 I mean, I think about it when I first wake up in the morning. <laughs> Great answer. I try not to think about it after 12 noon. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. um, although honestly, um, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I do. It's so great to have coffee like at the end of dinner. I don't always allow myself. But, oh, it's so good to just have that that espresso. It's a beautiful like, thing, especially oh. after, you know, a couple of drinks, you get to get that little boost up. But I, I ask because it's a micro theme here. We we talk about coffee often, and it's a passion of mine just talking about it. Do you, as a critic, do you look at coffee service at the restaurants you review? Do you look at what they're, what they're doing, what they're making? I never expect any restaurant to have decent coffee. I like, why? I'm stunned if they do. Wow. Because it's just so unusual. I'm stunned if the coffee's decent. Wow. You know, um, with the exception of like, you know, there's the, you know, $300 tasting menu where they come out and like, you know, like, like roast the beans in front yeah. of you. Yeah. And there's that whole process, which is not really not what I want. No. Thank you very much. But like, you know, you can, you can get some individual great cups of coffee in restaurants, but in general, you know, I don't know. I think they, they like. It's very hard. And so many places I go to now um, just don't do it. I think because they know they're not going to do it well. It's absolutely the facts. These are all facts. I mean, coffee machines in restaurants are typically mostly for staff. Right. I mean, it's really what it is. And, yeah. And, um, you know, especially for tasting menus to do like a pour over and really have like, provi- like provenance and have like a real point of view is challenging with all the other millions of things. The counterpoint is that we give a shit so much about wine and beer and like there's some EAs who are really putting in the work, but then coffee somehow. I know. I'd rather have. I'd really rather have tea because then like. Yep. Like you know, even like a you know a decent brand tea bag, you know, if the water's hot and I get to to control how long it steeps and uh, like I so much rather have that. If the tea is good, mm-hmm. all the better, you know. Um, but. I would rather have mediocre tea than bad coffee. Any it's day. Uh, tea's great. We're working on a big piece right now about tea, and I can't wait to share it. Um, we've asked all of our anonymous critics uh, for their request for our illustration. So I'd like to ask you, Pete. We're going to do a food this time. So if we could draw you as a food, what would that food be? God, I mean, I'm probably just probably like a like a. Uh, I have preserved lemon, you know, like I love that. Why preserved lemon? I'm salty. I'm sour, you know. And I'm surprisingly aromatic. <laughs> and you're you've got great utility. You're writing once a week the review of the New York Times. A preserved lemon is a real workhorse in the kitchen. It's true. Not every not every fruit can do that. Pete Wells, we ask all guests on Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, 
or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world to execute this dream book project, what would that be? Is this real? Because you work for for Random House, I right? do. This is so real. The, this is real. So the, we can make this happen. We can leave this I mean, room and go out. And- I can't. I, I got to say, it, it may have happened before. <laughs> I mean, listen, like, no joke aside. I mean, joking aside, like, I'd love to see you, you write something about your life someday. Um, um, I would like to, to do that. I think that would be that would be fun to, to do. I mean, um, I don't know. What could, what could I really... Um, bring to the world. I mean, I'd let, or like reported. Um, I mean, we yeah, didn't get into your career, food I and mean, wine. You've got a deep career in uh, reporting and editing too. Like you know, other people have kind of done, you know, um, kind of the the food of the Caribbean. But that's something that just fascinates me more and more all the time. You know, the um the connections between the islands and the mainland and Africa. Like, like I just get more and more enchanted by that. Um, uh, um, and then, gosh, I don't know. I think there's like so much about, you know, Chinese food that I don't yeah. know that I would like to know better. Yeah. You know? And New York City is just an absolute phenomenal place to eat Chinese food, right? Yeah. Now. It's just amazing. Right, and yet there's so much that we don't get here too. So yeah, that just, too. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, like for years and years, I used to say, like, you know, New York needs more expensive Chinese restaurants, mm-hmm. and now we're starting to get them mm-hmm. just because the demographics of of Chinese people in New York are, are have been changing. Pete Wells, thank you so much for joining today's podcast. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be back. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.